0: Welcome to Let's Talk Certification, a live recording of a podcast program hosted by the American Institute of Building Design. I'm Steve Mickley, AIBD's Chief Staff Officer, and I'm happy to be here hosting this month's show. Every month, a guest CPBD shares their approach to prepare for uh, the Certified Professional Building Designer Exam, CPBD exam. Normally, that would be someone who's taken the recent version of the exam, but today we And we've been doing this a lot lately, I've got to admit, we're going to stray from that path a little bit. This month, we have a very special treat. We have NCBDC's president, John Fott, who is also an AIBD fellow with us. It's a special treat today because there's an event that just recently happened in the last, I don't know, seven to 14 days, and that was that the American Institute of Building Design sent in their preliminary application to ANSI, the American National Standards Institute, the preliminary application for accreditation. It's a very complicated, very long, drawn-out process that includes uh, site inspections and a lot of questions, a lot of data, a lot of paperwork, but we received almost immediately our notification for them saying that, yes, AIBD and the NCBDC program qualifies for uh, accreditation. So now, John has signed a couple agreements, some non-disclosure agreements with ANSI, and we're waiting for our invoice to pay our application fee, and then we're on our way. John, I think I've unmuted you. You should be able to go ahead now and, and address our audience. Well, welcome, everyone. I'm happy to be here. And yes, we
1: were extremely excited to be able to put that application in, that pre-application in, and get a, an immediate response. There's been an awful lot of work not only by the council, but a lot of CPBDs and subject matter experts over the last few years getting us to this point. Many meetings, many reviews, getting the exam online. All sorts of things that we've had to do to get our ducks in a row so that we could uh, apply for this. I'm very proud of the work that that the council and the individuals have done together, and this has definitely been a group effort, but we are moving towards Getting accreditation for this exam.
0: Yeah, uh, overall, somewhere between 60 and 70 people, and uh, we're going to still be looking for volunteers. As a matter of fact, one of the things that is in the new budget that uh, just got approved, what, last Monday, I think it was, John? I believe so. Is uh, the funding for a full-time item writing team and so what that will entail is, uh, I forget exactly how many people we budgeted for, but we wanna write 25 new items each year, and uh, items meeting the questions on the exam. And we'll be looking for volunteers to, to do that in the short term here quickly, because we wanna have uh, 70 to 75 questions that we can then put a different team together for, an item review team, that would then uh, review what's been written and narrow it down to the 25 that we're going to offer next year as pre-test items. And we'll explain what those are in our conversation. First, John, let's learn about you. Uh, There's a lot of people out there that, first of all, may not have even realized that there was a president of NCBDC. Let's go back to the beginning. When did you get certified and how, and what was that process for you? Because it's quite different than it is now. Correct. As people have people
1: i've known have been in this organization <clears throat> there have been a lot of different ways that people have come to the certification process ours was through another state organization that we had that became the florida society and our examination that was deemed equal or equal to and we were grandfathered in at that point but the the examination process has you know been streamlined a lot but mine i had to go through a 3 day examination I mad, as a matter of fact, I took my examination four times, but back in the day, they didn't tell you back very much about it. You just went in and took it cold. So it wasn't like where we we have it now where we it's a little bit more set up where when you look at the candidate handbook, it gives you an idea of what's being covered, what books to look at, to get you prepped. So it was a real it was a real eye opener for me because, at that point, I had I'd probably been in business like five or six years, and I needed something that kind of set me apart from the regular drafting firms in my area, and I saw this opportunity to get some sort of credentialing that would do that, and uh, that way I could promote myself as something a little bit more than just a drafting
0: service. Did you mention what year that was that you, you took it the first time? Let's see. I took my first exam in 1982. Oh, wow. Yeah, I didn't take mine, mine until 96. And even still, there wasn't a lot of uh, information to prep for or prep with. I remember loading up one of those little U-Haul trailers and practically bringing my whole office with me because I didn't know what I was going to need. Yeah, we we walked in. We, it was a
1: three-day exam. The first day was open books, so you were able to bring in a couple of books that you thought you might need because they at, the, at that point, the first time around, they didn't tell you what. So I had uh, I had my American Graphics Standards, I had uh, a code book at the time, and uh, a couple of framing books and basic stuff. I had some some calculations there for for beams and stuff like that that I thought I would need because fan tables from different manufacturers and uh mm-hmm. the open was went really well the first day we had all day and i was done by noon and i remember the the fellow up at the front desk when i handed in he says are you quitting and i said no i think i've got it done and I, I had gone through it like three times and satisfied myself that i had done the best i could and gave it to him and uh, i passed all those the second third day were were a design problem much as most everybody else took up until we. Uh, Changed the exam to online, and uh, through several times it took me to get the uh, design right by the fellows that were doing the grading.
0: Now back then, though, it's not like you had to take it all three days over again.
1: Correct. If you pass the if you pass the written exam, or the the open book parts portions that was done. That was, off, that was off the thing. And Now you had to just handle the, the drawing, but the drawing was, you know, at that time, was two days. The first day, you pretty much did a, you were putting together a presentation set. Mr. and Mrs. Jones had this kind of thing, and you were trying to put different rooms together, and a, a different view here, and it had to fit this kind of furniture, and it had, these different rooms had different relations to each other, and you were trying to satisfy the problem and get the client uh a set now everyone was taking basically the same i believe same the same problem but each designer in there had a different interpretation and so you weren't getting exactly the same thing they were all putting it on the same uh, lot but you had different viewpoints of what this designer thought was more important and how he addressed the client's needs at the end of the day it worked out now later I wound up becoming the certification chairman, and so I was looking at all the grades, and that's how I really found out more about what was, what was possible from you know that standpoint of other people looking and saying, okay, here's the, here are the questions, this is how I look at it, and this is how I'm going to present it. So it really opened my eyes to how other designers
0: see and interpret what their clients ask of them. Certainly puts the kibosh on those uh, copyright attorneys that try to tell the judge that there's only so many ways you can arrange a four-bedroom house, huh? True. <laughs> so what you mentioned there is a good segue, though, into my next question, and that was like when you say you were the, the certification, I forget what term your title you used, but basically back in that era... the the National Council of Building Designer Certification was made up of representatives from each of those different state societies in AIBD. Correct. And so you were the representative of the Florida Society. And uh, do you remember how many there were back then? In the Florida Society? Gosh, I think Oh no, I I meant in the council, how many different people at your level was in the council in those days? I, th- I think we have 8 to 12.
1: Most of the major societies, in California, Texas, and, and a couple in the Northeast, Ohio, Florida, uh, Georgia, all of them had a good amount of designers that were part of their societies. And uh, so in representation, they were. that's where we were getting most of the people who were applying for the CPBD exam. So they were represented. And uh, at that time, it was a designation later it became a uh, an application but at that time it was uh, it was each society i think each society was had the opportunity to to have someone on the board if they reached a
0: certain um, threshold of uh, examinees and then back wow. then I called them examinees That's right. Now they're just council members. But uh, this gives me a great opportunity to uh, let everybody know that if you go to, if you're certified, first of all, that's the qualification that is the first qualification. But now anybody that is certified can apply to be on the council, the National Council of Building Designer Certification, which is a designated body within AIBD. And what designated body means is, is that it's set up like the board of directors and they can act according to DC law, just like the board of directors, but their decisions can only be on those aspects that that revolve around the certification program and we constantly are accepting applications but it's at our annual meeting which will be coming up August 13th that we we actually vote on who's going to make up the council we got to have at least 9 and i think we're limited to 16 or 19 something like that john you might remember i think we have 18 Yeah, we might be limited to 18, but we have to have at least nine. And so you can get a hold of that application. It's online at ncbdc.com. And then you just click on the uh, item in the menu button that leads you to the, uh, the council members. And that's a misconception that people have once they become certified. They think that now they're members of NCBDC, but really what they are is certified professional building designers. They hold a designation. The council is the governing body that that you become a member of and John how long have you been a member of the council then since the 80s or 90s
1: i i started being uh, on the council just as you uh, left to become uh, the uh, executive director
0: oh so that's been like 15 years then oh not quite as long it just it's been a long 15 years <laughs> but and uh, then, yeah i and, i then and you served as vice president for for quite a while under Lynn Vogel, right?
1: Correct. I was secretary uh, for four years under uh, Don Gore. Oh, uh, okay. This Don Gore, I believe God, Don Gore seceded you. And uh, right. th- then, of course, Lynn seceded Don. And then I was
0: uh, uh, fortunate enough to be uh, tapped to uh, secede uh, Lynn. And when you were vice president, that was when NCBDc, which at the time was a separate corporation, uh, merged into AIBD. So yes. tell us a little bit that, about that process. That was apparently
1: originally the my the NCBDc had been a part of AIBD as I understand it, and then they thought maybe patting oneself on the back was maybe not the, the best way, and and they needed something that was set apart where. You had an independent body certifying people other than being a part of AIBD. So I believe it was separated somewhere. And, and of course, that's back when uh, Mr. Hefner was in charge of the situation. And NCBDC was separated and became a separate, like you said, a separate entity, a legal entity. After a while, I guess the numbers didn't didn't, uh, pan out for some reason. And they decided that, no, maybe we should bring it back in. And be able to have it as part of the, part of the AIBD again. And there was a lot of there was a lot of discussion. Sometimes it was rather heated, but there was a lot of discussion on what, the pros and cons of that. <clears throat> but the re-merger was really something that needed to be it, it didn't need to be separated. It's it gave us uh, a lot more. I think it gave us a lot more comfort and control. A lot of the things that we were expending energy on in running a separate organization was something that we couldn't do, Uh, something we don't have to do now, because now we can concentrate solely on the examination, and the NCBDC, the council, our job is that exam. Our job is to take care of it, to make sure that it's up to date, that it's relevant, that it's ready for presentation delivery to a candidate. And that's what we get to focus on really now instead of working on a lot of the business end on running a separate entity, a separate corporation. Now AIBD and their council and their board actually handle all of that while we take care of the exam. So that's really our focus. It allowed us to focus on the exam. And one of the first things I did when I got a chance to To be president. And that's coming up on eight years now ago that you and I uh, started that. We started this certification venture. So it's taken us a while, you and me and the rest of the council to get us to where we are now.
0: Yeah. And I remember the merger. I think the discussion started in like 2010. It became official in 2011. So that was when we were coming out of the great recession. So I'm sure economics had a, a little bit to do with it, but yes, it was it's about that ability to be able to become uh, credible. And uh, immediately, once you became president, I think that's when we adopted the, uh, the, the philosophy that we were going to seek ANSI approval. And uh, and then you and I went off to, I think back then it was called NOCA. Now it's ICE, the Institute of Credentialing Excellence. We went off to one of their conferences and started looking for consultants. Remember that? Yes, we were in Pasadena. And so Stephen and I have flown out here, flown out there. We're
1: at this convention, everybody we're rubbing elbows with is a PhD or higher, and uh, or some of them have multiple PhDs, and so we're looking at the presentations, and we're looking at all of that, and they're talking about much larger groups than us, and we're wondering, oh, how in the world are we going to be able to afford this, because some of the fees that they were talking about at the time were way out there, and so we were thinking, gosh, what do we do? We'd run into these two young fellows that had a smaller company and I guess they took pity on us, <laughs> thank goodness. <laughs> uh, they did seek us out later that afternoon and said, hey, we talked it over. I think we can help you out. I think we can modify our our, our system or our process to where we can get you guys going for, for a, a group your size. And so that was really the first step. And so both Rory and Manny, were wonderful people that helped us on that and got us started. That group is now, I think it got uh, absorbed or was worked into another group which is bigger, and uh, they continue to help us through the process of getting the exam online. And now we're now we're working again with with Manny. He's been in this with us practically from the start. We've been very fortunate. But going back to that thing in pa- that ICE conference in Pasadena, we were really babes in the woods, we had no idea really what laid ahead of us when we said, okay, we want to get certified or we want to be accredited. And we had to learn a whole new vocabulary, a whole new language, a whole new way of looking at our exam. And it made us better. It made us work harder and make the exam better. We started asking more in-depth questions. We started making sure that we had uh, defensible answers or researched answers for our questions. It wasn't just an opinion, it was fact. We made sure that we took a lot of the, anyone could really question, "What is this worthwhile? We made sure that the questions were worthwhile and we asked people from across the nation at a conference we had in Maryland for three days, how do you run your practice? What's important? How do we do this? What should we include? What shouldn't we include? And so we had people from all across the nation there. And that allowed us to give a more uniform exam so that a person from California can take the same exam as the person in New Jersey. And everyone's getting an apples for apples experience.
0: Yeah, we referred to Rory and and Manny. That's Rory McCorkle and Manny Strail. And their company back then was ICA, and the first thing that we hired them to do was called a job analysis. Not a job analysis, I'm sorry. That's, that was the second step that we hired them to do. The first thing was a uh, gap analysis. So that was the beginning. And tell everybody what the gap analysis was all about, John.
1: Basically, it, it had them take a look at where we
0: were right now and
1: where we needed to go. And where we had shortfalls. So they basically came in and looked at everything we had versus what we needed to do to be able to move forward. And so they gave us, a, came back with a report, the analysis, and we had several items that we had to address. And so some of these items were going to cost a little bit more. So we tried working on as many as we could. That didn't cost a lot of money at first, so we could get those checked off and get them in. But some of them had to be done in sequence. So that we got as far as we could on that. It came finally came down to the to the other analysis. and we I went in and in Vegas, one of our conventions and asked the AIBD board for a loan for funds for us to start because we were we needed to be able to afford this and get started. And that was really my first step going back to AIBD and saying, hey, here's where we are. This is what we need." and AIBD, of course, stepped up and came through, said, yes, no problem. We've got you. we got your back. And we were able to pay for the next step and move forward. So this, like I said, although NCBDC is a council within AIBD, it is made up for the most part of a lot of very talented and concerned and caring designers like you have out there and these people worked very hard to back us up and be there for us the council of course everyone's been on there for a number of years and have put a lot of hard work into this so this truly is a group effort it's not just the council
0: to bring everybody up to speed on on where we're going from here, then, uh, I put in that uh, preliminary application, like I said, that got approved, and now I'm waiting for our invoice to pay the application fee, and once that's paid, we actually get the full 30-some-odd page application form that takes you through the ISO 17024 standard and basically takes you through each standard step-by-step and asks us to provide documentation that shows that, number one, NCBDC is a self-supporting financial part of the Institute as well as the Institute being solvent as well. It goes through our policies and procedures and then we'll have assessors. Basically, they're going to do what we hired Rory and Manny to do five years ago. And that's basically a gap analysis. Again, they're gonna come in, they'll bring two assessors. One will be a psychometrician. John, tell them what a psychometrician is. Okay, this was another one of the one of the things that we had to find
1: out a little bit about when we first got there. A psychometrician is a person who handles a lot of number juggling. And these people, numbers are their thing. And they look at all sorts of data and come up with procedures based on 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 a lot of different ratios and and, uh, uh, opinions and uh, they're all phds and they they are analysis experts is the biggest thing i can say and some of the things they do just boggle my mind where they can come up uh, with how we choose this or how we choose that they made sure that we we had questions questions which we call it now items instead of questions and how the question uh, how the items were formed how they were phrased what kind of answers you put down and how to phrase those answers so that when you looked at your choices one didn't stand out from another so that the individual who was taking the exam and was trying to answer the question or the item would have to look and would have to know what the answer was, rather than just look at it and figure out. Okay, I'm going to pick A, B, or C. I'm going to pick A. So it, it wasn't a guessing game. It was. A, it was really a. a it's a fine. Uh, fan, it's a uh, fascinating process when you work with a psychometrician. These people, like said, are PhDs and. Uh, they're very meticulous and they're very very precise and they look at all sorts of data and they do the number crunching to tell us where we need to improve on where we need to move how is this question uh, going to probably uh, sit or be how, what kind of response is it? we're going to get to this or that so they really use their uh, use their training and their education to help us formulate the exam based on what we know using what they know so that the exam comes across as clean, precise, intelligent, relevant,
0: and accurate. Yeah, I would describe them as a combination anthropologist and statistician, but both of those, would you say it's fair to call them scientists in the realm of certification anyway? (laughs)
1: <laughs> oh yeah and, and they, they also worked a lot on uh, knowing people how they how, what kind of choices they make uh, uh, different different groups and different different people from different areas how they move and how they how they think what, what what's likely here or there so it was really a fascinating process and some of it was a little beyond me at, at the beginning it took a while for myself to catch up steve's pretty sharp so i think he was ahead of me but it took a little while for us to gear up and try and catch up with, with these individuals that we'd hired because they were so way and above us, but they did, do good, they did do a good job.
0: That's why we hire consultants. But the interesting thing I found about the psychometricians is the same interesting thing I find with our attorneys. And that is no matter what question you ask them, their answer is always, it depends.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: <laughs> so anyway, ANSI will send out, and actually it's what we're seeking accreditation for is not technically called an ANSI accreditation anymore. It's ANAB, A-N-A-B, the ANSI National Accrediting Board is uh, what the new acronym is. So technically we're seeking ANAB accreditation, but it's a, just like NCBDC is a designated body within AIBD, ANAB is a part of ANSI so they'll send two assessors out, they'll go through and they'll make uh, their assessment, as well as, uh, I, I skipped the part that once we get our invoice, we have a year to get our application in, and then the assessors come out and once they make their assessment, we then have, I think it's either 90 days to six months to to rectify whatever the, the situations are that they find in the the assessment, i.e. the gap analysis that'll be done, but Basically, they're looking at how we perform now, or or basically the first time they come out, they're looking at what our policies are and how we perform to those policies. But then every two years, once we get accredited, those assessors have to come back out again and continue the assessment to make sure that we are actually following those procedures that we told them we have. And uh, so this is something that we've started, John, that is never going to end. No, it's something that we've made an
1: obligation now. And in order to keep this, it's going to be perpetual. It has to be. So we're always going to be updating the exam. We're always going to be updating the the council. We're always going to be making it as best we can. The people who follow after me on the council are charged with that duty. And that is their sole reason for being on that council is to take care of that exam And make sure that it's the best it can possibly be in august i will be handing off the presidency uh for a second time to uh, a new a new president and i'm
0: really excited about that i know that the question uh, nobody's written any questions in yet but i know that one that's going through their mind is that if i'm certified or if i plan on becoming certified why is this ANSI accreditation important to me?
1: I think it, it, it lends a lot of credence because most of the time when you're looking through the if, if you're in this business and you use the international building code which you have to pretty much you can see that ANSI is sprinkled all throughout the, the, uh, the uh, code Uh, there's an ANSI standard for this there's an ANSI standard for that there's and all these different not only the standards but sometimes they'll talk talk to you about this association standard or that association standard all of those things have been accredited all of those things have been given the uh, ANSI seal of approval and they've been included in the code i think having our certification examination accredited as well uh, lends the same credence now uh, a lot of people are hoping that once we do acquire accreditation, that it's possible that we may be able to be written into the, the building code as design professionals.
0: No, what about getting accepted at, at individual state levels?
1: I believe that once once I believe we get a chance to be written into the code on a, on. A, on that let me be in the irc or the florida building code for example being considered a design professional would i think would open up the door for uh the possibility of state boards for uh resident design for, for instead of being an architect which right now most most states have an architectural board and licensure so this i believe is a to that possibly it depends on what what AIBD pursues in the future and what we do in the future. Right now, we're trying to get a so that exam that you've taken or the one that you're thinking about taking will mean something. It will be different. It won't be just a pat on the back. It will mean something. And right now, anyone anybody that's taken either the ones in the past or the most recent ones can tell you that when they finished that exam, they really felt a sense of accomplishment. It Tests what you know. It may even point up some things that you probably didn't think about that maybe you ought to include in your practice or might be including in your practice. I've heard people say that different how they did the practice they thought they included and how complete they thought they were, and uh, the questions that we had on the kind of piqued their interest, so they they felt it improved their
0: improved. Oh, John, we lost you. You faded out there on us. Whereabouts did you fade me? (laughs) Oh, oh, got you loud and clear again. Let me ask you this question. Regardless of accreditation, you've been certified for a long time. How has it changed you and the way you run your business? I believe what. tell a client that I am uh,
1: nationally certified in difference and now am I one or two so I've had a long time in the business and I can point to the certificate on the wall and, uh, and the association uh, I have AIBD and NCBDC all over my work I think it lends I think it right now lends we have to do continuing education. All these things are important. They want uh, they want someone who they feel comfortable with. They that's uh considered professional. We always we always in AIB in try and push for professionalism. We have continuing education classes that are. Ready. I'm sure that you'll about the ones that we hear, not only for the exam, but there's a lot of different ones out there that are, are geared towards uh, improving what you want to do in your practice. So if I believe you can find all that on the our website at AIBD.org, where you can find out some of the continuing education classes that are available in not only the seminars and the webinars, but some of them that are online that are geared or, and or approved by AIBD. <laughs>
0: that's right aibd.org education i believe it is we had a comment come in from christopher who says ansi is like a ul number listing it lends itself to oh you're good we're working on uh making it to where everybody can say yes we're good the cpbd would not only be certified professional building designer but you can tell your clients it stands for can't pick a better building designer so the next step, though, is to get that application in. And so that's the thing to listen for is the announcement in the Monday minute that says that the uh, the official application is in. And then after that, we'll have to report to you once we've got our assessors. What's the word I'm looking for? Assigned to us is the word assigned to our assessors. Right now, with the way lockdowns are going and whether or not they're sending real assessors out or if it's all being done by real assessors virtually, I meant in-person assessors, is yet to be seen. It could be that by the time we get the application complete and in to them by the end of the year, I don't know how long it takes for them to actually assign the assessors, but by then we may be out of the woods, I hope, on this virus stuff. but. Good work, guys. I've seen a a lot of uh, questions and comments coming in, so I'll go back to the question board here. Does it allow you to qualify in the IBC as a registered design professional in the first section of most sections? So that, I guess the question is, doesn't it allow you to qualify in the IBC as a registered design professional? Any thoughts on that? I, I think the definition of design professional right now in the IRC, the way it exists, is that you have to be licensed by your state. Any any comments on that, John? right now
1: that seems to be that seems to be the the determining factor. So what we're hoping is if we if we're able to get the definition fleshed out a little bit more to include, certified professional building designers. That way, that kind of, like I said, opens up the possibility for
0: state boards to emerge to, to license us. And Rebecca has typed in, since there was a bad connection, and I'm glad to hear it. I mean, I'm not glad to hear it. I'm sorry it happened, but I thought for a second, maybe it was just uh, my connection that was bad, but uh, apparently she experienced it too. She asked, can I describe the significance again, specifically with regards to what John was talking about with town approvals? I think it was hard to hear, and I didn't hear what you said either, John, but I do know that there are certain, not towns, but communities that recognize the certification, a city has a a responsibility to uphold the state laws so they can't really make an ordinance that would uh, be contradictory to a state law but we have had some cities like Austin Texas that has been a little bit creatively on the side of that state law meaning that in Texas you don't have to be a, a licensed architect or engineer to design houses and certain small commercial buildings but in Austin uh, they require that you do what's called a massing analysis. And uh, for that massing analysis, you have to be either an architect, an engineer, or a CPBD to produce uh, that report. And also, I think Austin has created a, an expedited permitting process. I know Kansas City did it one time. I don't know if it still exists, but Martin County in Florida at one time had an expedited permitting process that – if you were a CPBD, an architect or an engineer, you went through the process faster than if the plans were done by a homeowner or somebody who's not certified. So that could be what you were talking about, John, as far as the town approvals. And and there's like the Woodlands, Texas, PGA National in Florida. I know there's more in Texas and there's more in Florida. A lot of communities on water. A lot of communities with golf courses all communities with gates and and all of the communities that have approved this i think are gated communities but they're the type of communities that have associations and association documents covenants and in those covenants they have accepted the certification as a, a part of a prerequisite for designing plans but also we've got next month one of those two people that john talked about helping us get going on this process, Rory McCorkle. Rory has since sold his company, ICA. Manny went on and started a new company, which is now our consultants. But Rory went to work for a much larger certification consulting company called PSI. And they handle pretty much everything all the way to the delivery of the exam. But Rory served on a task force That was funded by the ICE, the Institute for Credentialing Excellence, and that task force did a study on why people become certified, why people hire people who have become certified, and next month's Let's Talk Certification, Rory McCorkle will be our guest, and he's going to go through that uh, report that was done talking about their findings Um, how people use the certification to better themselves and the reasons why they've done it as well as like I said the benefits you can tell your clients as to why they should hire you as being a, a certified person over somebody who isn't so I'm looking forward to that one more comment here from Brendan how long do you anticipate the ANSI approval it could take a year and a half it depends on what we find I don't think based on I've gone to classes that ANSI has actually sponsored that take you step-by-step through the application process, and I don't think that we have anything that's going to require us to change the AIBD bylaws, but if it does, if it requires the bylaws to get changed, uh, that only happens once a year at our annual meeting, so it, it would be next August, or I guess the dates we're looking at right now are the last week of July, in 2021 that we would be able to make those changes, but we would know before then if those changes needed to be made. The other document that would have to be possibly changed would be the AIBD book of rules or the NCBDC policies and procedures. Both of those documents can be um, revised on a uh, monthly basis. Both bodies meet the first Monday of the month or the first Wednesday, depending on which body you're talking about. Although NCBDC holds off on changing their policies and procedures until the annual meeting, just to make it to where it's all done at once, one time a year, it doesn't mean that they can't do it intermittently uh, throughout the year. It just becomes a little bit more time-consuming if you do it that way. But right. if if that's there was what's got to be done.
1: If there was something, if there was something that was imminent that we needed to to take care of, we do have the facility to do that. However, we do try and take care of the the exam that is our thing. That is our main objective that is our duty. Uh, I have I've had a lot of hats in AIBD but right now my hat is uh, president of NCBdc and taking care of the exam is my job and so I take that one very seriously. Other committees that I've been on in AIBD I've been a member of and a part of a committee, no problem but this one is where, my focus is and that's what we're trying to do is make sure that we can deliver the best exam possible that is meaningful and is relevant to what you do out there in the residential and building design community.
0: And Larry has written in to uh, confirm that Austin does have the expedited permitting process. He also asked what's the pass-fail ratio and uh, we'll be coming out with our annual report There's also an annual membership meeting that's going to be held virtually the 14th of August, where a lot of these numbers will be presented for the first time probably. We're still, our fiscal year ends June 30th, so a lot of those reports are still being produced from each of the different committees and councils and task forces. But I can tell you just from monitoring the exam that uh, it's about 72 to 75 percent is the pass-fail ratio, and that's something that we are allowed to, to publish. Let's see, Jared asks, will you be requiring to retest once ANSI, certified, ANSI certification is added? That's a great question. And, John, I'm not sure if you even have been a, a part of these discussions, but we have a number of people all the way starting back to those who have taken what we call the standard setting test. The standard setting test was offered between August 2017 and December 2017. And then uh, we used the data with the psychometricians from that standard setting test to actually derive what the pass fail number was gonna be as far as how many questions you have to get. And everybody who took that test and has taken it afterwards is in, no questions asked. That's the. They will be operating under the exact same exam that, that will be accredited in this application process. Anybody who got certified prior to August 2017, like John and I, may have to retest. We don't know that yet. What we're going to pr- pitch to ANSI is a plan because in our plan, we have to show that the people who took the exam prior to this one that's being accredited had to have taken a similar exam with basically the same knowledge areas being covered. The difficult thing that we're going to have proving that is that we didn't have a job analysis done for the exam prior to the one we have now. How the exam was actually derived over the last, what would it be, John, 20, uh, two decades, I guess it is? Yeah. Um, really it really wasn't yeah it really wasn't documented well and what we're going to what we're going to tell ANSI is that if this doesn't qualify as being acceptable to and I hate to use the word grandfather because ANSI is strictly against the term grandfathering but what we're hoping we can do is that any areas that ANSI finds that we're addressing a knowledge area let's say green design or sustainability that possibly John and I or anybody in our era wasn't asked that we can present a plan of specialized continuing education over the next two or three years, or hopefully maybe one year, that that would suffice to be able to say that these people could be brought along. But the worst case scenario is, yes, those people that have already been certified prior to August 2017 would have to uh, test again. But if you're not certified yet, the test that you're taking is the exact exam that we're going to be asking for accreditation for. So there's no worries there. And next question, we had a long one I saw. Christopher, trying to expand my screen here, bear with me. Yes, I took my principal Company owner PE, we set up an appointment with the director of planning and urban development. We went through my resume time in the industry and the portfolio. They required ICC certification, life safety sprinklers. Gosh, Christopher, I don't know. Do you have a microphone? I could turn your uh, microphone on. It might be easier for you to go ahead and just go ahead and present this one yourself. Sorry, Christopher, I'm trying to make sense of this here. It's, it looks more like a statement that I don't quite know where you're going with. I apologize, but we're starting to run out of time anyways. John, I appreciate you taking the time today to, to talk about the history of NCBDC and what's happening now and what you look to see happening in the near future. Right now, our future
1: is looking good, and we are uh, working hard for you, the residential and building designer out there. We're working hard to make sure we provide some upward mobility for your for you as a professional, and some credentialing that will allow you to present yourself to your clients in a much more professional way, in a much more educated and uh, complete way, so that they can have more confidence in you over what you already do. Thank you, Stephen, for the opportunity. It's always wonderful to talk with you, and uh, I hope everyone out there that's listening that is not certified. We'll consider uh, getting the exam and getting the
0: candidate handbook from the uh, website and uh, taking our exam. Great endorsement. And uh, thank you, John, for the many years of service that you've put into this effort. And uh, I'm glad to see that we at least got the preliminary application in on your watch. And uh, I I look forward to you still being a part of this all the way through the next six months to a year that, that we're going through the application process. I'll be here. Okay, everyone, remember that we can uh, go back to old podcasts as well as see this or or listen to this one again in the near future at AIBD.org slash podcasts. If you haven't already, the Global Choice Award is still open for another 16, 17 days. Go to AIBD.org. Oh, I'm sorry. Wait a minute. That's Residential design awards.com and scroll on down and look for the the global choices logo you'll be able to click on that and go to the voting we have five entries two of them in texas one in utah i forget where the other two are one in florida i think some really cool houses check them out you'll be able to look at some interior and exterior photos read a description you'll know who the possibly know we tell you who the designers are and uh, at the worst case a great opportunity for some inspiration george closes out here with basically it comes down to if we cannot use the term architect in some form residential architect for interest it's not going to help That's a great topic for a conversation on a different Let's Talk certification. I know that takes legislation. I don't think they call them residential architects in Nevada, but there is a licensure for residential designers in Nevada. That would be an interesting one to uh, analyze and see how that's working. But that's how we'll go ahead and end it today. Again, John, thanks for being with us. Thanks for all your service. Everyone